Hello, and welcome to the IMS Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloomberg. Today, we're speaking with IMS elite expert, Sam Rogers, about content creation, the DMCA takedown process, future litigation, and the importance of mentors. Sam Rogers is a social media industry and instructional technology expert. He provides strategic learning, marketing, and content creation services to global companies such as Google, Deloitte, ADP, Capital One, and Robert Half International. As a recognized expert in the field of learning and development, he routinely works with subject matter experts in technical fields to distill their expertise into training that meets organizational needs. So how does it work when, if I go onto YouTube and I type in Adele's song, Hello, and somebody's put her entire album up there, and it's there for, I've seen so many examples of that where somebody will take uh, a picture of the album cover and make a video of it that's say an hour long, that's all the songs from the album, I don't know if we can use album these days as the name, but <laughs> how does that, how does it, how does it work that that stays up on YouTube? I've seen that all over the place. Well, the short answer is it doesn't actually. Um, YouTube is constantly trying to eradicate that and they're getting better and better at doing that. Not only on the back end, but especially on the front end of being able to tell when that content comes into YouTube. Hey, we've got this already and we, we see it. Um, no, you can't do that. And of course, it's, it's a constantly escalating arms race of people making slight modifications and slight changes to the content to like speed it up just a little bit uh, or do something like that uh, to, to shift something that maybe isn't even audible to the human ear, but that introduces a layer of like digital um, static essentially such that it's a, it's prevents the content ID ID tool from making that match into the degree of accuracy that it that it wants to. Um, people are always trying to find ways around it, just like anybody is gaming search engine keywords in Google. It's it's exactly like that. Um, and so it's it's a constantly changing landscape. And um, uh, make no mistake, though, it, it, it is uh, an infringement to do that. Um, some people just don't know. I think at this point in history, most people do know that that's probably not okay. And, but 20 years ago, you know, uh, well, 10 years ago, even, um, that wasn't really common knowledge. And so there's some stuff that made it onto the platform before that maybe YouTube hasn't identified yet because it, it's so few people are seeing it that their algorithm hasn't really had time to go down to that level yet. But for new content that's getting introduced, it's generally because someone's trying to infringe. Um, and actually, before any new Adele album comes out, her record company will upload mixes to YouTube via the content ID tool to let YouTube know, hey, we've got these songs, they belong to Adele. And even if you know, the second production engineer should happen to leak a copy and it winds up on YouTube, it will be ID'd before it's displayed. 
as a rule. Um, there are some exceptions that can happen, but um, but this is now part of the the production workflow for music studios, record labels, all that kind of thing, because they they want to be the first ones to upload this content so that they can prevent things like that from happening. All right, so you threw out an acronym earlier and I didn't stop you to ask you to define it for us. And then you said it was a takedown process. So the DMCA takedown process, it's not a wrestling move. What is that? <laughs> and let's talk a little bit about how that can be detrimental for content creators and, and what does it entail? DMCA takedown. Um, it stands for the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Uh, and it it describes a process that um, that predates YouTube. But when we're talking about YouTube specifically as a platform, um, it's it's a way for someone who wants to exert their ownership of content to say, hey, that's my thing. You can't have my thing. Take it down. And when they press the button to initiate that process, uh, then there's a notification that YouTube relays to the person who who uploaded this thing. And they have a certain amount of time to respond to that and say, whoops, sorry, my bad, or to say nothing, uh, in which case the, the content will be stricken, um, or to contest it and to say, no, actually, this is my thing. What are you talking about? Um, it, it's, it's a legal process that unfortunately does get overused by a lot of users. So, um, and, and people don't generally know what it means. Um, it's, a, it's a process that um, hopefully, if people are using content ID tools well, doesn't happen as often. But, um, but it's basically a way of exerting ownership. And the YouTube platform is the middleman in that situation. Um, but any kind of online provider, uh, as of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act has to have a way that people can have content that is theirs removed when it's been um, infringed upon by other people. So basically, how do you deal with user-generated content? Um, that's what that mechanism is. So let's think about um, content creators who who their topic might be gaming or reaction videos what sort of things should they be considering before they're uploading the you know their content content to uh, avoid copyright strikes yeah that's a good question the game has really changed in gameplay videos over the last uh decade or so it used to be that that video game uh, producers did not want their content up on YouTube. That is, you can't play a video game and post that up to YouTube. You're playing the game, but it's our game. That's our content. And they would strike down those videos. There were a few smart game studios that took the opposite approach of, sure, you can upload as many copies as, as you want of you playing this game. It's our game, but you can play it all you want. Post it on YouTube. Well, Guess who went out in the sales war in the marketplace? The, the people who were playing those games, the games they were playing um, tended to sell more copies. So the, the game producers kind of changed their tune about that. 
and things that they might have previously had a copyright um, issue with and that they would have used the content ID tool to strike down or to block. Um, instead, they said they opened these policies up to make it possible for people to play those video games and record themselves doing it because it was actually helping them rather than hurting them. It's kind of like when you put the, uh, the uh, explicit advisory on, on the lyrics, you know, you sell more copies, you don't actually, it doesn't help, um, you know, with what it was originally intended for. But, um, but in terms of gay play videos, I would just say, um, don't be the first one. <laughs> when in doubt, don't be the don't be the first one to start um, uploading content like that, um, because you might be the first one to get swatted down as well. It's funny, I was thinking of myself in the mall in the 80s, going through a record store, seeing like Motley Crue and that sticker on it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about maybe some some trends and some disruptions moving forward. So what are the trends you're seeing and maybe some emerging things in the field of video production and training and design and delivery? Well, for training specifically, um, I do anticipate that there's going to be a lot more attention paid to uh, those mandatory kinds of trainings that everyone's supposed to take. Um, more and more, this is being mandated differently. Um, at the state level, at the county level, we've seen even like, you know, this borough of New York has this rule here. Um, and there's a lot of uh, confusion that exists over, well, really, who's supposed to do what? And can you prove that you told this person this thing? Um, I expect there's going to be a lot more cases around that, as uh, especially things like um, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all of that that's, that's now starting to be mandated more. Um, there's a lot of cases that are starting to appear around this. And so having that legal defense of, um, it's kind of like trying to enforce um, morality, but it, it's defending the organization from its people uh, such that, um, you know, you, you can't, you can't force people to make good decisions if you're allowing them to make decisions, but you can at least say, we told them what the right thing was. And, um, so like in a harassment prevention, uh, issue or something like that, um, it's one thing for us to understand what harassment is. Like, of course you and I understand what harassment is, but you and I being, you know, middle-aged white men, uh, probably of a middle-class upbringing in America, um, might have a different interpretation of what that means than someone who's in a more historically uh, disadvantaged uh, demographic. So having that training really is important in the real world for uh, helping shape behavior in a way that, that I, I hope you know, everyone listening believes in. Um, individuals make, make different choices, but having the having the organizational defense that we told people what the right thing is and that, that they interpreted that properly as of this state, I think is going to become um, uh, much more important in the future. Um, in terms of video production and trends and things that we see there, um, as more and more money ends up 
in the in the game with any digital platform, I think there's more incentive for people to bring suit. Um, whether that's a, a copyright infringement case, hey, you saw me do this video on YouTube of this song that sounds just like this song that you copied me because you saw it on YouTube or something like that. I've already you know, uh, functioned as an expert witness in cases like that. I expect there'll be more of those. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, how YouTube is, um, distributing funds or gathering funds and all that, um, as, as more and more of the world ends up going onto global platforms like that, I think we'll see more and more, uh, cases follow as well. Well, what's the, what's in the crystal magic ball? What, what's coming yeah. in five or 10 years? That's just going to be game changer sort of stuff. Well, the, the, it's, it's not too hard for me to see that. So in the last five years, there's been a lot of kind of automated uh, infringement cases um, where with imagery and with text that can get indexed on websites. Um, I, I had this happen myself, or I got a cease and desist uh, notice uh, about an image that was on a blog post that I had posted. Um, I, being aware of such things, I had actually checked that this was a, a license-free image before I posted it on my, my website. Um, but a lot of people don't do that. They just take an image and they post it up on their website. And, um, and so there was this rash of inquiries that were truly automated where uh, the, the little web crawler bots had gone and found where are the copies of this image? Where are the copies of this text? Let me go there and automatically issue um, uh, a threatening sounding message to the owner of this website to, um, to basically you know, get some money out of them for the license for this use or to you know, threaten legal action to have that uh, content removed. We've seen that with the things that are easy. We haven't yet seen it with rich media very much, but we will. So as more and more um, of that content, that content gets indexed, video content, um, I think it will happen actually even for training content where um, there's a lot of infringement that does happen today. And that's historically been kind of under the rug because it's contained. It's just within this corporation. It's not public. People can't see it. Well, all this stuff's on the cloud now. All of it is indexable. And um, I think that's really going to change the game within the next five years or so. That what we've already seen with the easy forms of media to kind of index, uh, we will see with more rich forms of media. And those same kinds of automated um, threats will happen more and more. With your success, um, I'm sure there have been a lot of role models and mentors along the way for you that helped you get to where you are. Why don't you talk a little bit about mentors? Well, I've served as a mentor a lot more often than I've had like a dedicated mentor. Um, my mentors tend to be in books. Uh, they tend to be people that are, are from generations past. Um, and really internalizing their, their writings and their, their works are uh, what guide me. Um, but there's certainly one person 
uh, who I've known since I was about 15 years old, that's been tremendously helpful for me in my life, navigating specifically the the music industry, but also um, also the training work and um, and video productions. Uh, the first person to bring me to a set of uh, of uh, real live movie production, uh, coming in as part of the the uh, producers entourage. Uh, my friend Phyllis Larson um, has been a, a great mentor to me. She's actually uh, probably even more interesting than uh, than my background is is her wacky background. She's kind of a um, a consultant. She's the person that like the the Grammys bring in to find the bombs after there's been a bomb threat because she has uh, ways of detecting information that um, aren't really as quantifiable. She gets brought in to, uh, to help the FBI find kids that have been abducted, one of those kind of folks, um, and, uh, and has access to a whole level of information that I simply do not. But I greatly admire her and, um, and have learned a lot from how she sees the world over the years. It's always, it's always nice to have a good mentor. Yeah. How do you balance the, the stress, the, the day-to-day with your company, being an expert witness, the things you'd like to do outside of work? Sometimes those are mixed in with work, uh, hobbies, friends, family. Uh, how, do, how do you keep it all together? How do you take care of you? The world is an uncertain place. And I think when we expect it to be certain, um, it, it gets really uh, apprehensive. You know, it's easy to feel threatened all the time. I think uh, expecting things to be worked out, like what does copyright look like on a global scale? Um, how, does it, how do people uh, treat each other, you know, nicely on, on the internet uh, or not? Um, I think expecting those things to be worked out is a recipe for being upset. And, um, and I would much prefer to be on the, the front end of uh, design solutions and innovation of really creating a future that I want to live in and feeling some kind of participation in that, some kind of stake in that, as opposed to feeling impacted by the, the laws that exist and the, the governance structures that exist and trusting those people over there to do it right. Uh, they're probably not going to. That's that's my baseline expectation. So um, I just always have a backup to the backup of the backup of anything that's important to me. And anything that's not important to me is not important to me. All right. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Really learned a lot and I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, it's a pleasure to speak with you today. And uh, and thanks for this awesome podcast. I, I also just wanted to add that I actually really do listen to this podcast. And you've had some great guests on here, and I'm flattered to be one of them now. Thank you. Thank you to Sam Rogers for speaking with us today, and a special thanks to our listeners. At IMS, we're trusted to deliver consulting services to the most influential global law firms early with pre-suit and investigation services, then in litigation during discovery, arbitration, and trial. It's been our privilege to serve our clients on more than 20,000 cases and over 2,000 trials. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and join us next time for the IMS Insights Podcast.